At BTN Europe, we can review podcasts where we take a deeper look at some of the issues in the news. I'm Mark Ferry, your host. Last week, the UK's Transport Secretary, Grant Shapps, announced a change to the entry regulations for England, meaning that anyone who has completed a full course of vaccinations against COVID will now be allowed to enter the country from amberlist countries without having to self-isolate. Business travel has been on its knees for 15 months, and even this reopening comes with barriers. We've heard again that another TMC has ceased trading recently. Is it all too little too late for the sector? I'm delighted to be joined today to discuss this by Silla Goldberger of ABT UK and the Focus Travel Partnership and Clive Ratton of the Business Travel Association. Welcome to you both. Hi, I'm Silla Goldberger. I'm the Managing Director at ABT UK and a Board Director at the Focus Travel Partnership. And thank you so much, Mark, for the opportunity to join you today. I am uh, Clive Ratton, the Chief Executive at the Business Travel Association. Uh, always delighted to be on the call with you, Mark, and uh, talking about the, the subject of travel kind of reopening. So thank you for inviting me. Thanks. And now let's get down to business. Is the announcement on double vaccinated travellers from ambulance countries too little too late? What do you think, Scylla? I think for many it is too late. Obviously, any changes at the moment is welcome. But obviously, you know, we have suffered a lot of losses in the industry. Uh, a lot of job losses and obviously you know also acquisitions liquidations um so will this now stop you know future losses um not as yet um at the moment this is a start this is the minimum that we can be expecting you know not too late for the future but too late for many and what are your views clive um i think similar to Silla. i mean we obviously very welcome news that travel is reopening again in some format but it is in a in your phrase too little um too late of course some have gone as you refer you know last week we lost sadly another tmc to the industry but equally those that are around now have a lifeline so um you know there is some positivity out of it but it, it is right on the brink that's for sure but do we need um, more countries to go on to the green list or do we need um, exemptions for business travelers it's not about more countries going on to the greenest at the moment. First of all, it does have to, have to be reciprocal. <laughs> Obviously, us um, being able to come back into the country is hugely important, but we also need to be able to let our, our business clients in from other countries as well. You know, we don't do business only instantly in the UK. In addition, we, we have to make sure that there's some sort of agreements, for example, with the US, um, that, that fundamentally is catastrophic to our industry at the moment, having that uh, border closed to us. Um, I know certainly at Focus, uh, over 30% of our business in 2019 was US-based. So green countries is, is one thing, and obviously uh, the double vaccination for Amber is fantastic. Um, it does obviously cut out um, you know, a couple of decades um, of businessmen that currently um, are traveling and can't utilize that probably for another few months. But the greenness in itself doesn't give certainty and we need our travellers to have trust back. A green list that can tomorrow be amber and the day after red um, is useless as far as gaining trust for the business travellers to be able to, to travel again. So I know that you called uh, Clive for some of those um, you know, very important countries for business travel to be allowed to have unrestricted uh, travel and entry into the UK and vice versa. Um, and do you think you know, this announcement goes anywhere towards that? 
I, I think it does. I, what you know, you've learned after dealing through this uh, crisis for 16 months is there is a certain degree of politics that goes on. And I think if we start opening up uh, our country and showing our confidence, then other countries will reflect uh, that they need to let UK travellers in, and therefore it becomes um, you know, vice versa reciprocal, as uh, Silla said. Uh, I think you know beyond what we need in terms of green and amber list is consistency, and that's what we haven't got. Now it doesn't matter whether you're in leisure. Or the business travel industry is that the inconsistency and the risk of change is you know, the thing that undermines travellers' confidence um, fully. So that our government, whilst we welcome this move, you know the number of changes that we've gone through from January in its kind of ideal uh, way that it was going to open travel is really difficult. So I think we need a period of stability. We'll wait to later in this week when we see what other countries are added to the green list and uh, you know, we, we really need um, the USA to open up and we know that's not just our end but again I reflect back that politics if we open it I think the pressure is on for the US then to open it up but equally markets such as the UAE um, and uh, other European markets are, are really important to this, um, this industry and to the UK economy as I've said many times before so it is a step in the right direction but it's not just about green countries it's consistency and letting this process actually that the government have put in place uh, let it work and show that it does work. Can I just ask about testing now? Because obviously that's one of the, you know, the key points of this is that you know even though people from abolitionist countries are going to be able to enter England at least, um, we don't know about the devolved nations necessarily yet, but um, um, you know they would still have to undergo testing, and uh, the cost of testing is is quite high. I mean, do you think um, that's going to be a barrier to business travel, and do you think companies are going to want to pay that for their travellers? Obviously, extra cost is always a barrier, especially after you know everything that's happened. I don't think that um, a business traveller or corporate is not going to travel because of that. There is a cost to travel, and that's expected. I think the bigger the bigger issue could be maybe either smaller companies, freelancers, for example, that have a different decision to make there. And of course, to do it together with the the testing, it, it becomes more of the in clarity between each place. You know, where do you need to test into, out of? We need more clarity for, for everything. I mean, do you think the, the issue is going to be more about corporate duty of care rather than necessarily the cost? Because I know, you know, having spoken to many corporates, uh, you know, they're nervous about allowing their travellers to go out on the road, even if they're allowed to do so, because they're worried that they might get COVID, because we know that it's not necessarily a panacea, you know, being vaccinated. You can still catch COVID if you've been doubly vaccinated. But do you think they're just worried about the thought that their travellers might get that? They, they may not be get insured insurance for that, for example, and uh, worried about potentially getting sued? I mean, I think it is a concern, but I, and, and clearly for the larger corporate, more so. And I think that's something we, it's important to really distinguish amongst this. Is, and it's not that any traveller is less important to their company than another, but an SME or a mid-sized company that has much less rigorous hoops to go through that the CEO can make a decision very quickly that it's the right thing for their employee to do so long as the employee is happy to do it and I think that is also a critical thing that's going to change in travel the influence of the decision making um, I think you know that level of travel will get back out and start traveling much quicker being very um, aware of duty of care but may not be restrained for some of the larger corporate policies but equally we're already seeing where other parts of the world are traveling and British companies may be missing out by not being at the table or not being there to pitch or whatever it might be. It's kind of moving the decision along quicker. 
I think that it comes in with this confidence piece as well, that if people are seen traveling on their leisure um, journeys and things are going well, that you know, that there is a process that the government put in place that is robust and builds the confidence in it and it, and it stays there. And I think that will come quite quickly um, back, but it still remains testing. You know, we, going to your original point, I think you know, cost, we need to be careful in the industry not to keep raising it as being expensive. It has come down a long way. We, we don't want to put it there as a barrier, I think, for corporates. It is a return on investment. If it's going over to a multi-million pound deal for a 50 pound PCR test, it's not a hard decision to be made. But I think the government needs to recognise quite quickly that you know, there are lateral flow tests that we use in the UK for wherever you go. That is a much less stressful, firstly, and costly example of where you can um, test people uh, rigorously. And then, of course, if they do uh, come up positive on one of those, then, of course, the PCR test is the, is the one that uh, should be followed up with. So I think the government has a choice to make and we will continue campaigning to make the, uh, the testing as easy as we possibly can and obviously cost effective. Now, we've seen a spike in leisure travel since uh, the announcement was made. You know, EasyJet, I think, was saying that their bookings were 400% up in the day after the announcement had been made. I mean, that's obviously from a low base. But um, <laughs> do you see the same sort of things happening in, in business travel, like when the you know the original extension to the green list got announced and, and after last week's announcement? Do you see an increase in interest and, and does that translate into to bookings? Well, I think it's very different. We need to recognise the difference between leisure and business. Firstly, you know, our corporate travellers don't get to choose where they go just because it's become a green list or just because it's permissible now um, with, with it being double vaccinated. Well, not now, in two weeks' time. So we're not going to have that same spike. In addition to that, there is, you know, as you sort of suggested about the duty of care, there is still that issue that hasn't gone away. So you know, will they start to travel to those destinations? Absolutely. We're not going to have a 400 or, or any other many hundred percent spike suddenly overnight. This is going to be extremely gradual. Businesses over the last, where are we, 16 months now, um, have had to make a lot of decisions and have had to make a lot of allowances for this. Now, they're all desperate to get out there. You know, don't get me wrong, they are losing business by not traveling. But at the moment, you know, having to wait a little bit more again for that extra security and extra understanding and extra certainty is what most of them are going to have to do. I think that the trouble will start to trickle, but it's not going to be an overnight boom, unfortunately. Clive, um, I know we've talked about this a lot. You know, we're still seeing travel companies going bust. Do you think that um, this announcement is going to put an end to that, or, or do we still need, or do we actually need some targeted support from from the government for the travel sector to ensure that that it does carry on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know this the, the kind of losses that you've seen and mergers and acquisitions that I hope are probably more of the, the norm than the losses where people work together to save businesses. I think you're still going to continue. I've always said that um, you know, the industry is probably at its riskiest time when it starts to open back up again as we need cash flowing through that is uh, that is hard to to find. So you know, we very quickly as the association um, when the announcement was made by the Transport Secretary last week was to still call for financial support for this industry moving forward because the trajectory out of this is going to be very slow and um, it's such a hard job for our members to work out you know, when to bring the resource back which is hugely expensive against the uh, the amount of bookings that are going to be coming in and the work so yeah there is still a huge financial risk that comes out of this so it's very clear that we still need support in some way although we recognize that furlough is coming to an end but it doesn't mean you know that the government can't help with some targeted financial support and we will keep fighting for that as we move through the summer 
And do you think that has created a cliff edge, the um, the end of furlough? I think uh, it is a cliff edge this time. It, it really is. And it's not the end of September. It's um, any time before that. In fact, we know talking to some of the members that have large numbers that are on furlough, that will need to go into consultation, which is 45 days before. They're thinking, well, actually, I might need to make those decisions by the end of uh, August rather than take another month in September where I'm going to be paying significantly more towards the salary. So that, that cliff edge is coming really close. So yeah, the announcement was welcome, but I don't know if that will delay decisions being made about redundancies um, to avoid uh, you know, furlough running out and being left with that um, cost uh, within their businesses. So it really is at that kind of crisis point. And I know we've said that many times before, but we know it is coming to an end and this really is it. I mean, do you recognise that uh, that picture, sort of just with your focus um, hat on there? Because you know, some of those members are, um, you know, both business and leisure, and you know, they've had other challenges as well. For example, you know, getting bonding. For example, I mean, do you do you think this is just the latest thing? It's going to cause a problem for them with the end of the furlough. Yeah, I mean, I think that's in addition to everything. And certainly, I mean, th this is a huge concern at the moment. It really is. And I think without any further financial support to the industry, that there is going to be a huge amount of damage. As far as the bonding and the accreditation, I mean, we, we know that our industry is probably excessively licensed over others. And it's not quite accommodated to the situation. And there are a lot of I wouldn't even say murmurs, that there, there are a lot of huge concerns about what this means for the partners. And they're having to make decisions um, at this point about what they do, what they keep and what their business looks like after this. I just wanted to talk about um, airport delays. We heard um, last week as well from the Immigration Services Union on, on the BBC's Today programme that they're warning of um, delays at airports of up to six hours. I mean, does that worry you? Again, I think we have to be careful in the industry of not ramping up something um, to further dissuade people from travelling. It, uh, it's a bizarre thing to say, but in a good way, if there are, that means people are travelling and, and we have we can do something about it. I have to say, we, we spoke to the uh, Border Force uh, last week and, um, yeah, there is concern, but I think they're you know adapting fast um, and... You know, I just really hope and believe that we get a lot more things digitalized and that will make a big difference. And there's lots of moves towards that. And I think we have to be realistic. Yes, there will be delays. But, you know, I remember just normal days in my days at the airport. I could have passengers waiting up to three hours and there wasn't a pandemic going on. So, yeah, it just depends how it works out in terms of the speed of the return. Uh, but my, my view is I think we need to just be careful to temper that, that uh, the delay shouldn't be put up as another barrier. Uh, and you know, we need to be talking up that people get in the country relatively easily, but do expect potential delays. Is your view the same on that, Silo? I mean, do you, do we need to like, think about how we digitalise all of these processes? I mean, I know there have been some um, initiatives in that direction, but it's still quite fragmented, isn't it? And, and I do worry when you know when travel scales up that that it's not going to cope too well with that. Mm. No, I, I do agree, but you know, obviously, it has to be digitalised. That that's it's kind of a no-brainer and it's you know it is slightly mortifying that it hasn't all been done quicker this hasn't you know just happened overnight this you know um we know this has been coming and it is unfortunate that they haven't stepped up but obviously this is still a global issue it's not only about you know waiting on this side hopefully that there can can be some sort of collaboration make sure that you know not only that that it's working well here but the systems are speaking to each other as well and that's gonna you know obviously be part of you know what the 
the impact will be to, to be fixing the, the cooperation in regards to also the, the um, proof of testing and so on. I mean, I, I would add on that that, you know, if you've got the NHS app already, which I do have, I've been double backed as a QR code on there. Um, this morning when I came into London, where I am right now, I used a QR code to come out through the station gate barrier. So the technology is there, the QR codes and the, the reader technology is there. I, I just think, uh, you know, we expect the government to accelerate this through and have it ready and waiting with the e-gates. They are rolling out pretty fast. So yeah, of course, there is always the concerns, but the technology is there. It's not brand new technology. It's just, I think as Scylla said, it's just about bringing all of that information into the one place that has your vaccination or your test and maybe even your passport details. And if you do that, you could actually potentially speed up the whole process eventually. Well, I did see uh, one country has said that they are not going to accept uh, the app. Um, I, I think it's more from their end. They've, they've said that they only want to accept the paper version because it's much less easy to fake that, I suppose, is, is the reason. I mean, I mean, do you think this is the thing? It's going to it's going to require a globally connected and linked up uh, response to all this and that everybody's going to have to say, right, this is the standard and we're going to accept this. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we've all got passports from different countries that do the same thing and are recognised everywhere. Uh, we have other apps that also work globally or, or certainly regionally in different ways. The technology, the technology is there. We're not reinventing the wheel here, or at least we shouldn't be. And yeah, obviously, at the end of the day, this does have to be recognised globally. I mean, they've been talking about e-passports for years anyway. So this is just kind of much of the same and, you know, I guess escalating where, where that goes. You know, it could be a good thing um, in the future to have that you know, pushed forward, hopefully. And what do you think about uh, companies and the, how they're going to now sort of like talk to their their travellers and say, you know, this, this means that you're probably going to need to be vaccinated because this is what countries are accepting. I know that they're saying that there shouldn't be a barrier to travel, but it does seem to be that these processes are, are going to be better for people who are vaccinated. I mean, do you think companies are going to have to insist that their business travellers are vaccinated and willing to prove it? I don't think you can do that. So certainly not in this country. And, and, you know, and I would never want to see that, that, you know, we thankfully live in, in a society um, that has a freedom of choice. Uh, are people going to be encouraged? You know, I've heard a lot of youngsters that have watched to get their first vaccine so that they can travel, even if, you know, previously they thought, twice about it and said let's wait well they're like no our life is not going to continue to stop i guess this has to be a two-way thing obviously we're all getting vaccinated the reason we're all getting vaccinated is to get life back to normal we know that the the virus is going to be around for at least another 10 years so we can't be doing this um either on or off or constantly for the next 10 years we need to find a way to live with this now does that mean businesses can insist that the travelers have to be no but obviously there will be complications if not they could potentially say if you need to quarantine on your return if you've had a choice obviously there does always you know yours have medical points or, or other reasons not to be vaccinated but if they've had the real choice to do it and they choose not to potentially a, a business could say we're not paying you for that quarantine time you know we'll we'll have to see where they go with this but enforcing it's not something uh, that they can do
And then just on to my last question, I mean, I just wanted to get your thoughts, you know, looking into your crystal ball about the business travel sector in general in the, in the months to come and in the years to come. I mean, just, just you know, how long will it take to get back to how it was before or will it never get back to what it was before? Um, yeah, this is a good question we've all been asking ourselves quite a lot recently. And I, I see it more on the optimistic front than, than maybe some others that, you know, I, I genuinely believe that once we're able to travel and people are confident that it will come back pretty quickly and I think we may see a spike in the sense of you know there's a big travel and it may taper off and plateau at slightly you know, below where we were before but you know don't get me wrong there is going to be a slow recovery to anywhere back where we were before but you know business travel needs to happen uh, I think you know talking to our members of recent weeks there's a real degree of optimism around for the first time I've heard for um, for a while and that's not just coming from them that's coming from their customers that they want to get out there and and travel yeah the world the world has changed but we still a globally connected world and we need to get back out there and uh, to travel and and goodness knows in the uk with global britain post brexit there are you know trade deals being done all around the world we need bridge companies to get out there and make the most of it and and you just can't do all of that on video and conferencing so yeah maybe i'm misplaced but i i feel once we get moving there will be uh, a good upward swing and um, the business will adapt as the industry has before and uh, we'll get back to um, a degree of normality whatever that means but at least you know profitability and companies being able to reinvest and move forward which is where we all want to get to ultimately and your final thoughts sir i most certainly um, am not prepared to put timelines um i did that many times in the last 15 months and i was always wrong you know overly optimistic so you know i think you know we've all had many reality checks um, it is going to come back, absolutely. And I do believe it will come back to the, the pre-COVID levels. It will take time. You know, we're not looking at within 12 months, um, but it will start. It's going to be gradual. We're going to see it and we're going to see it increase. I think it's going to be interesting to see what types of businesses have grown in that in the meantime. You know, the, they're not just businesses that are able to cope with Zoom all day. Uh, they all need to meet up if they want to grow and they want to uh, to do business as they should be that they're going to be traveling as well. So I'm really optimistic. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, as Pat said, it's about confidence. Once the confidence comes back, then a lot of stuff gets forgotten. We've got very short memories. Well, they often say that, um, you, you know, new exciting companies start in times of crisis. So yeah. I, I hope you're right with that. And it's great, great mm-hmm. to hear some optimism returning after all this time and hopefully this is just uh, the start of um, the reopening of um, international travel. So I just wanted to say thank you to my experts today, Silla Goldberger of ABT UK and the Focus Travel Partnership and Clive Ratton of the Business Travel Association for sharing their thoughts on this and thanks to you all for listening in. And don't forget to subscribe to the Week in Review podcast and our In Conversation series from whichever service you get your podcast from so that new episodes appear automatically. And don't forget to leave us a review. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.